So at the very heart of Christianity is God's unconditional love for us. That through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross, that no matter what we've done in our lives, no matter what we currently are doing, and no matter what we will do, we are covered by his love, his grace, and his forgiveness, which is really pretty staggering if you think about it, because it begs this question. So if God's unconditional love and forgiveness covers everything, if it ultimately redeems everything that I've ever done or will do, does that then mean in one sense that I can do whatever I want? And can't I then do whatever I want and, and it'll be covered by God's forgiveness? Or as the Apostle Paul writes in um, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So can we? Can we do literally whatever we want and be covered by God's love and forgiveness? The scandalous answer to that question is yes. Yes, we can. God will never stop loving us. God will never stop forgiving us. However, that's not exactly the question that Paul asks. Paul says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Or said another way, should we? Not can we, because we know we can. We're free to do that. But should we? And Paul continues and answers that question in verse 2. He says, by no means. Yes, we can, but should we? No. We, and he again is speaking to those who are followers of Jesus. He says, we are those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, this, he's talking about those who put their faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, Paul is going to talk a lot about death in this particular uh, portion of his letter. And if it's kind of throwing you for a loop. Just hang in there because it's all going to make sense as we just continue into uh, these verses. So verse 4, Paul says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then verses six and seven, it starts to gain a little traction of how this intersects with our lives. Paul writes, for we know that our old self, now what is our old self? Our old self is simply the self that basically we live for ourselves. The new self is the self that lives for God, that lives under the authority of Jesus and his teachings. But he says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So, can we do whatever we want and still be covered by God's grace and love and forgiveness? Absolutely. But should we? Should we continue to do whatever we want? Well, I guess the way Paul would, would respond to that is, 
I mean, you can, but do you really want to be slaves to sin? Is that really how you want to live your life as a slave? He continues in verse eight. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then verse 11, this is such a powerful, powerful verse. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let me just try and sum up what Paul's saying in verses one through 11 here in Romans chapter six. He's making this theological case that Jesus Christ's victory over sin and death means that sin and death have no power over us. That is pretty powerful if you think about it. And I would say that there are some of us and the whole reason that we're here right now is to hear these words. Sin has no power over you. Now, you may be here right now and you feel like, oh man, I I certainly don't feel that. I mean, I feel like sin has tremendous power over me. I'm incredibly susceptible to temptation. I feel like I'm, I'm tangled up in all sorts of stuff that I'm trying to avoid and I'm just struggling to. And though you may feel that, there is a spiritual truth And the spiritual truth that Paul is laying out here in verses 1 through 11 is this. For those who are in Jesus Christ, for those who've put their faith in Jesus, who have the spirit of Jesus Christ living in them, he is saying, because of Christ's victory over sin and death, sin has no power over you. And some of you... You just, you've got to meditate on that. You've got to think on that. You've got to, you've got to try and get that into your, the, the depth of your being. Sin actually has no power over you. This is a, a time during Lent where uh, we'll often give up something that has power over us, won't we? Uh, whether it's alcohol or sweets or some other sort of thing that maybe we, we struggle with, um, we, we use this time to, to give that up. And um, I'll never forget, there was this mom at Grace, and she was explaining to her kindergarten son about Lent. And she was telling him, you know, the reason why we, we give something up at Lent is because Jesus Christ, he gave up his life for us. And that through his death and his resurrection, through him giving up his life, we experience forgiveness and we experience eternal life through him. And so she's saying all this and she says, so it's, you don't have to give anything up for Lent, but it's kind of a way that you can remember what Jesus has given up for you. And it kind of helps you to to stay connected a little bit and, and, and feel that. And so she said, would you like to give something up for Lent? And he thought about it for a second. And then he looked up at her and he said, yeah, mom, I think I, I would like to give something up for Lent. She said, Okay. And it was this real sweet moment as she looked at him and she said, well, what would you like to give up? And his eyes got real big. He goes, school. (laughs) Half days, whole days, all of it. Now, I never gave up school for Lent. That's a brilliant idea. 
But one of the things that I have given up um, in Lent's past is I have given up sweets for Lent. And um, man, it's been, a, it's been a really powerful thing for me, not just for the obvious that it's a great reminder as we make the sacrifice of what Jesus sacrificed for us, but, but kind of practically speaking, it's been powerful because after like the first seven to 10 days when the withdrawal symptoms and like all the shaking and like, you know, just, just the nervousness, like once that's gone and I stop twitching, um, what I realize is that as I walk through the kitchen and there is the pan of brownies sitting there, and yes, it still is talking to me, okay? It's still calling me out. It still knows my name, still begging to be dealt with over there. What I realize is after about that seven to 10 days, those brownies actually don't control me. Anybody ever experienced this? Like sometimes you actually feel like they do, but they don't, they're not, they don't tell me what to do. I call the shots. I am in control of the brownies. And th- this is the powerful reminder that Paul is making here. Though you may feel like those brownies are talking, though you may feel like sin has a grip over you, the spiritual reality is this. When you are in Christ Jesus, sin has no ultimate power over you. And some of us have to just declare that out. We have to claim it. We have to believe it because it is true. Now, so that's, that's the argument Paul is making to, to kind of set up chapter 6, those first 11 verses. And from there, with that in mind... He goes into a big therefore in verse 12, okay? And he gets really practical. And I just want to say that if you're here and maybe you're not sure how you feel about this whole Christianity thing, you're not sure kind of what your belief is with Jesus or God or anything like that, um, and you might not be able to, to wrap your mind around those first 11 verses, but what Paul has to say next is incredibly practical and it's applicable no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. So check out, Verses 12 and 13. So Paul's saying, remember, sin has no power over you if you're, in, if you're in Jesus, okay? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And then verse 13, here he goes again. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Now, just about all of us would agree Well, yeah, Paul, of course. I mean, who wants to be obeying evil desires? I mean, who wants to be an instrument of wickedness? Yeah, duh, Paul, don't do it. Don't sin. We get it. But you know what's interesting to me? What happens oftentimes when we say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try really hard not to do that thing. What do we actually end up doing a lot of times? The very thing we didn't want to do, right? I'll give you an example. So I want everybody to take a look at the picture of this polar bear, okay? Take a good look at that white bear, okay? Fix your eyes on it. Okay, now, um, I want everybody to close your eyes, okay? So go ahead and close your eyes. Those of you online, unless you're driving, close your eyes, okay? Everybody, everybody close your eyes. And you only have one instruction, okay? You can think about whatever you want for the next 10 seconds, but do not think about a white bear, okay? 10 seconds, ready, go. 
Okay, now open your eyes. Now, I don't know what you guys were thinking, but I was thinking about a white bear, okay? So I, I started out in this 10-second exercise. I was actually playing along with my eyes closed. I started out in the exercise, and I started thinking about um, my, my happy place, which is the beach. So I was at the beach, and all of a sudden, there was a, a white bear just chilling on the beach. So then I quickly was like, okay, different scene. So I went out into the ocean, and I was surfing. And when I was surfing, all of a sudden, there's a white bear surfing right next to me, okay? So then I'm like, okay, forget this. Romantic date with my wife. And then there's the bear, and that's when it got weird, and I'm just not going to say anymore, okay? So, so I don't know how that was for you, but, but here's what's happening, okay? Um, there, there's actually a term for this, what, what your brain is doing, and it is called ironic process theory. Now, this is a term that was coined by a Harvard social psychologist, the late Dan- Daniel Wegner, and he really devoted much of his life's work to understanding what's happening in our minds, especially with negative thought patterns and behaviors. And so he said it's ironic process theory. And what he discovered is actually happening in the brain. This is fascinating. There is a part of your brain that is working really hard to not think about white bears. Now, at the same time, there's another part of your brain. And that part of your brain is checking in periodically to make sure that that other part isn't thinking about white bears. Now, every time that that other part checks in to make sure you're not thinking about white bears, what are you actually doing? You're thinking about white bears. That's why it's called ironic process theory. So what Wegner proved through, through decades of research, all sorts of studies, was that Groups of people who are actively trying not to think about the white bear are failing at a ridiculous rate. It does not work to try not to do the thing you don't want to do. So, what then do we do? Because, you know, for us, the white bear represents sin, selfishness, worry, temptation, In fact, it really represents whatever destructive patterns of thought and behavior we're facing. Those are our white bears. So if just trying not to do the thing isn't the answer, what do we do? Well, according to Wegner's research, he's come up with a few different things that he's found to be highly effective. And I'm just going to share with you three. The first one is you can release the bear. You can release it. Now, we're going to talk all about this next week. In fact, Paul gets at this in Romans chapter 7. So I'm just going to leave you guys on the edge of the cliff. And I'm not even going to tell you what that means. You've got you to find out next week. But you can release the bear. The second thing that's found to be effective is you can postpone the bear. Something called postponing. And, and this might sound ridiculous, but actually what you do is you're like, you know, I just, I'm, I'm so just, I can't even deal with this right now. I, I'm such in a, such a state right now that I am going to put this off until like Wednesday at eight o'clock. And Wednesday at eight, I'll be in a much better place to deal with this. So I'm just going to put it off until I'm in a better position to deal with the bear. And he's found tremendous gains with postponing. And then the, the final one, that we're going to talk about that, that um, Wegner identifies is actually something that Paul writes about right here in Romans 
about 1900 and some years before Wegner's research. And uh, we, we read the first half of the verse. I want to read that again. But the answer is really in the second half. So um, he says, verse 13, Paul writes, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument to wickedness. I'm sorry, I just lost my place for a second. Oh, here we go. Um, but rather, and there's really the hinge point, okay? So instead of not trying to do the thing, he says, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So as Wegner would say it, this is what Wegner would say. Okay, forget the bear, okay? Forget that. Let's try something completely different. I want you to picture a red Volkswagen, okay? So everybody, I want you to get a good look at a red Volkswagen. I want you to, to just focus in on this red Volkswagen. So one more time, 10 more seconds. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody online, everybody close your eyes, okay? Let's play along. Okay, now for the next 10 seconds, I want you to think only about a red Volkswagen. Ready, go. You can open your eyes. You never knew 10 seconds could last so long. Okay. So I just want to say before we go any further, was anybody thinking about a red Volkswagen and all of a sudden the bear is in the car with you? Okay. Yes. Okay. Now I just want to say you got it bad. Okay. We're praying for you. Okay. But you got it as bad as I do. I mean, there's white bears everywhere, man. This is crazy. What's happening? Okay, well, here's what Wagner would say. Okay, don't worry. You're not a lost cause. You're not a lost cause. There's hope for you. Wagner would say, yes, the white bears don't go away completely. But what his research found, clear evidence of, you're far better off, far better off thinking about a red Volkswagen than you are trying not to think about a white bear. Okay, so... This is all great conceptually, academically. But what, how does this apply to real life? Okay, what are we, we walk around with uh, like a picture of a red Volkswagen in our wallet? Like what, what, what are we doing here? And, and what is Paul actually saying? What, what does it really practically mean when he says, but rather offer yourselves to God? What does that look like for us? Well, I'm grateful that Paul, four verses later in Romans six seventeen. He gives us a picture of what this looks like, practically speaking. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, remember, he's writing to a community of Christians in Rome, okay? He's saying, thanks, that you used to be slaves to sin, but you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So what does it look like to offer yourselves to God? What does it look like to focus on your red Volkswagen? It looks like obeying the pattern of teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be saying, the pattern of teaching? Like, I don't, I don't know that I know the pattern. What was the, where was the verse about the pattern of teaching that Jesus did? Well, you may recall, I mean, Jesus taught about all sorts of things, but he was also asked to kind of sum everything up. And um, he summed it up, and this is the pattern. He summed it up this way. Boils down to two things. Love God, love others. 
love God, love others. That's the pattern. Or in my favorite quote from Jesus, uh, recorded in John's Gospel, 1334, uh, this is like the most awesome verse. This could be your, the verse, if you know only one verse for the rest of your life and you live by it, this would be amazing. Um, and this isn't even the whole verse. It's just, just one part of it. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So there it is. You see it? The first half of the verse is all about God's love for us, us responding to that through loving and serving one another. And what Paul is expressing here in his letter to the church in Rome is he's so grateful because they're living this out. They, they're not running from white bears, you guys. They are all driving red Volkswagens all over the Roman Empire. They are simply living out God's purpose for their lives. And it's amazing if you think about it. Because here we have, Jesus has been executed. He's dead. And we now have the Roman Empire that is hell-bent on stamping out Christianity. Because all these Christians are refusing to say that Caesar is Lord, which is blasphemy. Okay, you, can, you cannot say anything against Caesar. They're now saying, Jesus is Lord. And so, man, the Roman Empire is not having any of it. And all they're trying to do is just put down these Christians, have them recant their faith, have them executed if they won't. And you know what? These crazy, bold, courageous Christians are absolutely setting the world on fire. And you know what they're doing? They're simply responding to the love of Jesus, what Jesus has done for them, by loving and serving other people. They did this so radically, so radically, that just a few centuries later, the Roman Empire adopted Christianity as its religion. That's insane. So Paul is just simply encouraging them. He's saying, you are living out the very purpose that God has made you for. You're simply responding to God's love by loving and serving other people. That, my friends, is the but rather offer yourselves to God. That is your red Volkswagen. So the bottom line for today's sermon is simply this. If you want to overcome the white bears of sin and worry and temptation and selfishness, whatever destructive habits and patterns, whatever struggles you have, it's actually not by trying to avoid the white bears. It's actually by getting into your red Volkswagen of God's purpose for your life. Loving God by loving and serving other people. It's going in a whole different direction. And I got to tell you, there's so many different ways to do this. I mean, you can push into this principle so many different ways, so many different applications. And I just want to tell you about one, because it happens to be one of, my, one of my favorites. And I'll just, for today, call this the Red Volkswagen of Grace Community Church. And our Red Volkswagen here, how we push in and we love and serve God by loving and serving others, is through our volunteer teams. Our volunteer teams, for those of you who don't know, are the army of volunteers who actually make Grace Community Church what it is. They make services able to happen and they make stories like this one 
possible. I've been coming to Grace for a little over five years. Um, the way I found out about Grace was I actually was um, not attending church at the time and hadn't been to church in years. And I was having a party and two of my friends came in who I didn't even know knew each other and they hugged each other. And I was like, oh my God, how do y'all know each other? And they said, we go to the same church. And what was so cool about that is separately, I had heard both of them talk about how much they loved their church for years. And once I realized um, these two people that I love so much, both love the same church, I just was like, I've got to check this out. When we first got there, we had been married 15 years at that point. And 15 years of marriage is a long time. And I think with that comes, comes some struggles. And I felt like the day we got to Grace, um, I'm looking at this man on stage thinking, all right, so he's going to tell this guy everything he needs to be doing different. And it's going to be all about the rules. And I quickly, quickly realized as tears were streaming down my face during the first service, that it had nothing to do with that, that it was totally about my relationship with Christ and and that I was in the right place, that I was in a place where um, I was really going to learn about how much God loved me. Looking back on my life since then, so many things have changed, um, especially with my marriage. My marriage used to be something I worried about, and now it's something I'm very confident in. Um, we communicate better, we parent better, we argue better, and we especially love each other better. Um, so it's made a huge difference in my marriage. It's also made a difference um, in my daughter's life. It's been amazing watching her be baptized at Grace and be part of the Grace student life. And I see it. I see it in the way she prays. I see it in the way she treats others. And I see it in the way she handles problems. So it's been beautiful to watch the way God is also changing her life as well. Um, Probably the most surprising area of my life that has changed is my career. I work part-time at Grace now, and I would have never thought five and a half years ago that that's what God had planned for me. And it amazes me every single day that each week I get the opportunity to be part of someone else's journey, the way um, others were part of mine by welcoming them and guiding them through um, their way to be closer to Christ. It just, um, when I look back over it, it just blows my mind at what God has done in my life. And I feel so blessed to have a front row seat to sit back and just watch what he's doing. So stories like Jennifer's would never have happened if it hadn't been for everyone at Grace who serves on a volunteer team. I mean, if you think about it, we have to convert schools into church services. It, it, takes, it takes a ton of people working behind the scenes to make that happen. The, the audio, the video, the lighting, the music, I mean, all that stuff requires tons of hands to bring that all together. And, you know, one of the things that's uh, so interesting, too, when you, when you talk to people and, and you ask them about, like, their first time checking out a church, usually the, the number one emotion is some sort of, like, either fear or anxiety. 
And, um, and I was talking to, to Jennifer about this after uh, she had shared her story. And, um, you know, it's very much like they were coming, but they kind of had like one foot in the door, but like one foot was like ready to just hightail it out of there if anything got weird or funky. You know what I'm saying? Some of you remember your first time here. And, um, you know, think about our first impressions team members, all those people who go into creating that warm welcome when you come in. Not too warm, you know, <laughs> but just warm enough to where you'd feel comfortable. If that, if that welcome isn't right without all of those friendly faces, they never would have made it to the auditorium. Shoot, when they went to drop their daughter off down in our kids' area, I mean, if they weren't seeing environments that were safe and clean and fun and inviting with, with people who are definitely recognizable and they were excited to see their kids and excited to work with them, they never would have made it into this auditorium. Never would have made it here. So the reality is, it's a whole army of people coming together, partnering with God to create an environment and an experience where folks like Jennifer and her family could experience the love of God. And, and I just want to say, for every single person here and online who is serving already, you're, you're already on a team, can I just say thank you so much for your partnership. You are truly impacting lives, changing lives, changing marriages. It's, it's incredible. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you on behalf of all of us here at Grace for doing what you do so we could experience God's love. But I'd be remiss if I didn't also extend an opportunity for those of you who aren't yet involved with our volunteer teams to be able to do so. And what I want to do, kind of in the spirit of the red Volkswagen, is I want to invite you to take a test drive. So if you could, if you could open up that bulletin that you got when you came in, you'll see that there's a, a half sheet of paper in there. It says teams on the top. So these are all the different teams that we have at Grace. These are our red Volkswagens that we have to offer to you. And on the back, you'll see a description of the different ones because some of them have different horsepower than others. Um, now, I want to I just let you know, um, if, if you don't have uh, th that sheet of paper, if you don't have a pen or whatever, ushers are here. But uh, if you're online with us or you just like your phone, you prefer that, you can go to bit.ly slash um, grace team signups and you can fill out this same form online. But before you kind of sit here and you go, okay, wait, I, I understand what this is about. This is like, this is where I, I sign my life away and every single Sunday now becomes Grace Community Church and I got to get there early and I can't go away and I'll feel guilty when I don't serve. So can I just, can I just speak to that for a second? Because if that's your thought, you probably don't understand our process and how we do things at Grace. And hopefully you know that we're, we do things a little differently. Um, so, so let me try and explain it for you. So if you check one of those boxes, you're signing up to take a test drive. And there's nothing more than that that you're signing up for. You will, um, basically in the next week or two or three, whatever works for your schedule, you'll come in and you'll shadow one of our teams, whichever one you're interested in. After you do that, um, you will be connected with uh, one of our volunteer coordinators who oversees all of our volunteer teams. And they will find out how that experience went for you. Just, hey, how'd it go? Um, 
Was it, was it okay? Um, did you enjoy it? When you were there, did you see like a different team that you noticed that maybe you'd like to do that even more? Um, is this something right now that you think you might want to try again? Or, you know, like, is life crazy for you these next few months? Like, you know, kind of, how do you, how do you want to take this from here? And so at that point, you can kind of decide what you want to do. But pretty much the way it works with just about all of our teams is that there's a schedule that comes out and um, it usually comes out about once a month or once every couple of months. And, um, and when, that's, when, the, when uh, you know, something comes out, you can basically sign up for the Sundays that work for you. And so some folks, they'll sign up for you know, two Sundays that month. And other ones will sign up for just one Sunday over like a whole quarter or whatever works. We know this is Washington, D.C. We're all super busy, okay? We're not trying to create more white bears for you in your life. This is actually a red Volkswagen opportunity to push in to the purpose that God has for you. God's wired us to, to love and serve others, to be a part of people's stories and journeys, to impact lives. And so um, here's, here's what I, I want you to do, okay? As you're looking at this sheet, don't overthink this, okay? Do not overthink this. It's very, very simple. You know if you're a behind-the-scenes person, okay? You know if you're the kind of person, you're not all that crazy about talking to a whole ton of people, okay? You're behind the scenes, trust me. Or you know if you geek out over, like, lights and video and audio and music and stuff in the auditorium, then you're a worship arts person, okay? Just pick one of those teams that sounds cool, take a test drive. You know if you are a people person, right? You just can't get enough of those conversations. Find one of those first impressions teams, and be part of that welcome that we, that we have here at Grace. And then finally, you know if you hate kids, right? <laughs> but you also know if you like kids, okay? And I will tell you this. There's only one prerequisite for serving with our kids and our youth ministry. Besides filling out a background check. I must say that. Um, you must like kids. That's it. You don't have to know a ton about Christianity. You don't have to have Bible verses memorized. You certainly don't have to have a, you know, huge answer to some million dollar question that some kid asks you in the middle of a lesson. None of those things, okay? You simply have to have a heart for kids because that's what kids pick up on. They know whether adults care about them or whether they don't. And so there you go. Don't overthink it. Just look at the sheet and just say, hey, yeah, if I was going to do something, this is it. And then just, why not? Just, just take a test drive. See what might happen if you do. Because here's the deal. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of running away from white bears. It's a lot more fun to get into a red Volkswagen and start driving. To be going somewhere with a purpose and to be having an impact on other people. So, Last thing that I would like to share is um, for those of you who um, maybe you're like, yeah, I think I'm on a team. I think I signed up for a team like a while ago and I gave that email that I don't really check very often, you know, and, 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 and that's okay. You know, it, maybe you've, you, you did at some point, you had good intentions and then you totally like fell off the wagon. That's, that, we understand, okay, life happens. Today is an amazing day, Okay, the one thing you've got to know about Grace Community Church is there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no condemnation, okay? There's no judgment. But today could be the day where you say, you know what? Yes, I'm getting back in the Volkswagen today. Maybe you want to re-up on that same team that you signed up for a few years ago. 
Or maybe you want to sign up for a different team with a fresh start, try something new. But why not today? You'd be surprised how easy it is, how little time it takes actually in your day, and just how good of a feeling it is to be making a difference in people's lives. And for those of you who, you know, maybe you're, you're serving, you're, you're plugged in, you're, you're already there. This is a great Sunday to just evaluate that commitment and say, are you still enjoying it? Is this still meaningful for you? You know, maybe if you're really honest, like, you know, I, I feel like I, I want to give a little bit more to this. I, I, could, I could do something in the area of leadership or, or up my commitment a little bit. Or you may say, you know what? Something's been nagging me for a while. Like, I, I actually feel like this is the time I want to shift and I want to try something different. This is an incredible opportunity to do that. And I just want to encourage you to, to take advantage of that. And so um, just take these next couple of minutes to, to do some thinking about that. Go ahead and fill out uh, either those sheets or those online forms. And as you do, I want to uh, encourage you to um, check out this fun two-minute video.